It is a great pleasure to join you this morning, and I thought perhaps one of the best ways to get to know each other is if I were to take a few moments this morning and just share from my heart uh, how the Lord has dealt with me in my own life and in my heart. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 19 and beginning at verse 16 through verse 26. Matthew 19 and verse 16 through 26. And while you're turning there, I just commend the pastor for his pronunciation of all those Canadian English words. They're uh, often a trial. You did better than our friends from the United States usually do, so it's good. Matthew 19 and verse 16 says, And someone came to him, that is to Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Might we just ask the Lord in prayer to help us join Him in His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege of being in Your house today. And we thank You for this Your Word. You have protected it through all the centuries, and you have given it to us today. And we ask that you would take this word, and in the power of your Holy Spirit, strengthen each one of our lives this morning. Draw us indeed closer to yourself, for it is in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. Well, as the introduction said, I grew up in uh, Northern Ireland. And I grew up in a Christian home. We were part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland. And so I grew up going to church in Sunday school and knew all the right answers to the questions. I could quote many passages of Scripture. But you know, when I was 15, I departed from all those things that I had been taught. You've noticed by now how tall I am, and uh, 
I always hated being short. And it seemed as though I was kind of uh, not acceptable because of my height in so many ways. And so I hated God for the way that he made me. And I hated people for the way that they treated me. And at 15, I had the opportunity to join a terrorist organization in Northern Ireland. And so I took that opportunity. So have you ever been to church with a terrorist before? Well, you don't look too worried this morning. That's good. You know, I discovered when I picked up the gun that uh, people would then give me some respect. But, you know, it was a false respect because if I didn't carry the gun, then I didn't have any respect. And that gun, I thought I had found an answer. When somebody wanted to beat me up, I could just produce it and stick it right in their face. And all of a sudden, they would have an attitude adjustment. They would want to be my friend. Sometimes I wonder why we don't use it in evangelism. No, I'm just kidding. We don't use it in evangelism because God has given us something much more powerful here in His Word. It is His Word that He uses to change lives. So briefly this morning, might I just share with you how I got involved in terrorism, how I got out of it, and the things that the Lord has done in my own heart and life. As I said, at 15, I picked up the gun and I turned my back on the church. Because, you see, it is easy to know about Jesus, but it is another thing entirely to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. And so as I picked up that uh, gun and would get involved in many kinds of things of which I am not proud, I thought, at last I have found an answer. But the gun is just like any other sin, my friends. And sin is that uh, which separates us from God. You know, sin often looks attractive. It may even, to start out with, feel good. But sin is only to destroy life. And that gun is just the same as any other sin. If you persevere in it, it just destroys life. And indeed, that is what was happening in my life over the four years that I carried that gun. I just got deeper and deeper into the wrong kind of things. And uh, my heart became harder and harder and more and more against the right things and the things of God. And you see, we have within us this thing called pride. And when we start a journey like that, it is so hard for us to say I was wrong and to turn around. Scripture calls it repentance, doesn't it? But, you know, God, uh, in a wonderful way, began to intervene in my life. I am by, pray, uh, by trade a printer and I was working through the day as an apprentice printer and in the night times engaged in terrorist activities. But through the day, I had to work beside another young man who was doing his apprenticeship, and he was six foot four. Not sure what that is in meters, but quite a bit taller than me. Let's put it that way. 
And he was very different because, you see, when we would open the newspaper and look at the news and check out the bikini girl, he would open a New Testament from his pocket and he would go through it and he would try to start a conversation at tea break, at coffee break. He might say something like this. This is interesting. Did you know that it says here in the Bible that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? Isn't that wonderful? Now, you can imagine at work the kind of reaction that he got. People expect you to talk about God on Sunday and at church. But to live for Christ in the world and at work, that's so different, isn't it? But, you know, sometimes people would make fun of him. And I would say to him, Listen, if you would just shut up, people would leave you alone. And he'd say, I can't shut up because people need Jesus. You know, one day the opposition had exploded a bomb in downtown Belfast. And as I went to work, I was very angry. Now, my anger was hypocrisy. If it had been one of our bombs, I would have just said those people got what they deserve. Because nothing blinds us like hatred and bitterness, you see. But I had to work with this big Christian. And while I was complaining about this and saying these people are on the wrong side of the law, he looked at me and said, John, you're on the wrong side of the law, too. Not just man's law. God's law. Well, I'm sure that you would never do anything like this here in Alberton, but I lost my temper with him. And, uh, you know, I just stuck my finger in his face and said, you leave me alone, because if you don't, they're going to find you lying in a ditch somewhere with two taps to the head. Have you got it? And, you know, he should have been afraid because he knew I carried a gun. But he wasn't afraid. Instead, this big Christian looked at me and I could see the tears forming in his eyes. Tears of compassion. Tears of the love of Christ Jesus. And Tom Johnson said to me that day, I can't leave you alone, John, because you need Jesus and you need him very badly. Well, I kind of cursed him out and walked away. And I made a decision that day. That the only way I can shut him up is either shoot him, and it didn't seem the right thing to do, or I could read the Bible and prove him wrong. Now, that is a good recommendation, and I've recommended it to thousands of people ever since. If you run into someone who doesn't believe that God exists, just encourage them to go ahead and read the Bible and prove him wrong. And so I would read a chapter before I go to bed and I would sleep with the gun in my hand under the pillow in case they came for me in the middle of the night. But, you know, as I read my way through the Bible, when I came to Matthew 19 and to this passage that we read at the beginning of the message this morning. I begin to give the scriptures a little more attention because, you see, the law, the commandments are referred to in this passage. Did you notice it? 
The young man came and said, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And we would love it if we could do some good thing or uh, give something that would allow us entrance into heaven. But that's not God's way. And so Jesus said to him, keep the commandments. And he naturally said, which ones? And oh, how interesting it is that Jesus started with the second half of the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, he said, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, and so on. And the young man said, I've done all of that. You see, he was a good religious young man. He knew about the Word of God. He knew about the law of God, but he didn't know God. And God indeed in the flesh stood in front of him that day and put his words to the test. For as he is saying, I've done that, what am I still missing? Jesus then says to him, keep the first commandment. Oh, it doesn't say that per se in the text, but just listen to what Jesus said. He said, give away everything that you have and come and follow me. What does the first commandment say? You shall have. No other gods before me. So Jesus immediately put his finger on this thing. And so often it is true that we add Jesus to everything else. But Jesus, my friends, is not an add-on. He is either the Savior and Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. I... Uh, Read through this and I was alone in my bedroom. There was a gun and a Bible on the bed in front of me. It was 1.30 a.m. on the 13th of August, 1969. It's a long time ago. But I remember that night as I read verse 25, the disciples were quite astonished at this. And they said, Lord, who then can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said in verse 26, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I said that night, God, if I have read this correctly, you could save even me. Even me, I have messed up so much. I've been on the wrong side of the law for a while. I've done so many despicable things. But Lord, if I have read this correctly, it is possible for you to save me. Lord, would you take my life? Now you must forgive me. Because I cannot think of that moment without a moment of emotion. You see, my heart was full of hatred and bitterness. And my life was just a mess. And nobody wanted anything to do with me. But when I cried out to God that night, Jesus simply said, I'll take you. And I'll forgive you. And I'll cleanse you. And we'll begin right here. Have you ever tried to be quiet when everyone's asleep and you just met the Lord in a beautiful and deep way? Oh, 
I went to sleep that night reading the Scriptures and saying, Tom Johnson is right. There are so many good things in God. I have peace and love and grace and the assurance that He is mine. And thank God I am His. And when I woke up the next morning, I remember distinctly saying, Lord, you are still here. And you see, if I just met him for that moment, it would be enough for me to know that God exists and that he is true and that he is real. But as I got dressed and began to go down the stairs, I met my mother at the bottom of the stairs. And I said to her, guess what I did last night? And she said, what? You know, my mother knew all about the activity. She had watched her second son lead a gang of thugs to throw the next door neighbors, a father, a mother, and three little children and their furniture out in the street because they're from the wrong side. Why is it so hard to speak to the people that we love the most? Do you find that? You can talk to others about all kinds of things, but the people that we love the most are the hardest to talk to about the real issues of life. And as I tried to tell my mother that I had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, I started to cry and I got all choked up and I couldn't get it out. And she got more worried looking and she looked at me and she said, in heaven's name, what have you done now? I managed to squeak out just one little word. Jesus. She had heard me use his name in vain all so many times and as a swear word. But she had never heard me speak his name with the tenderness that I used that morning. And my mother came and we stood in this little hallway in a small house in Northern Ireland. She put her arms around me and we stood there and wept together. And she said, oh, John, I have prayed so often that somehow God would get a hold of you. And he has. Oh, my friends, are you worried about your children or your grandchildren or your parents or your brothers or sisters and friends who do not know Jesus? Pray for them. Don't ever stop. Praying for them. God forgives and man do not, or man does not. The organization that I belonged to when I became a Christian, I went to the police and uh, handed myself in. The organization put a price on my head. It still remains there to this day in Northern Ireland because you cannot leave it unless you're dead. And for six years we lived in Northern Ireland, and for six years I lived with the threat of death every day. And many South Africans understand that violence comes so swiftly and everything changes. And I understand that environment. Do you know, shortly after I became a Christian, my best friend who had been in the organization also turned to Christ. And that they would threaten us and shoot at us and all kinds of things. But you know, you get used to living with that kind of lifestyle. And we came to the place of joking. Whose turn is it to be threatened now? And uh, one Friday night, the 12th of September, 1975, 
My friend went grocery shopping with his wife, Agnes, and their two sons, Graham and Neil, nine and seven years of age. They brought the groceries home. John carried the groceries into the house, just the same as you do, time by time, set the bags of groceries on the kitchen counter. Graham, the nine-year-old, had just enough time to run in and say, Daddy, there's a man. And there was a man with a thirty special pistol. And my friend John was shot twice in the head and once in the shoulder. Hollywood says when you get shot in the head, it's all over instantly. But, you know, Hollywood just makes movies, and movies aren't true. He died 20 minutes later just as the ambulance came into the yard. And as I came out of his house that night, having tried to clean up and to help his wife and two children, I washed the nine-year-old's face. It had powder burns from the gun that took his father's life. When we buried my friend, there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of people there at the funeral. And the preacher that day at the graveside stood and said, If this is all there is to life, if it ends here in this hole in the ground, what would be the point in living it? But there is much more to life than this. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And it is here that we must make the choice where we will spend it, this eternity. I think there were more people converted to Christ that day than anyone could know or understand. He went to heaven God led us to Canada a few months later. Who got the best deal? He did. And I want to say just one other thing before I close. When he was killed, there began a great battle in my life. Hit back. You know how to do it. You know where to get a gun. You know how to use that gun. You know how to hit back. You know how to set it up. You know who's responsible. You know they'll never be arrested for it. No one has ever been arrested for his murder. And this fight would go on. And already I was a preacher. And it's like a civil war going on in your heart. It's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit of God who lives within the believer. And you know, I could go along and people would say, how are you? And I'd say, fine. What a bunch of liars we are. You know, we so desperately need God. And yet we're so often unwilling to come to the very one who can help us. A preacher came to our church from America to do a series of meetings. He was a friend of mine. And uh, he was preaching one night. He gave the message and he asked people to come to the front and surrender their lives to Christ. And many people responded. And then he said a strange thing. He said, there is one person in here tonight, and you know that you need to meet the Lord just now, right now. And I find myself getting up and wandering down the aisle to the front. And immediately he came over to me. And he said, John, 
I hope you won't think that I, I've lost my mind, but it's as though all through the message as I preached tonight, the Spirit of God was saying to me, you must tell John, tell John. And now I'm afraid because I think he's going to expose this war that's going on in my heart. You know, I knew that I was such a failure to the Lord and a fraud. I would tell people I was okay, but there was this thing going on inside me. And he said, it's just two words, John. Jesus understands. You know, I find myself, he just took me in his arms and I wept until his suit was soaked and his shirt was soaked. And he just held me for a while. He said, I don't know what it's all about, but the Lord does. So you must take some time in prayer and meet with him. And that night, as I met the Lord at the place of prayer, I said, God, I'm a fake and I'm a fraud. I've been trying to live the Christian life in my strength and in my way. And Lord, I have failed. Father, would you forgive me? And would you teach me how to live the Christian life in your strength? And in your way. And you know, sometimes we sing that song, I surrender all. That's exactly what I did that night. I said to the Lord, I just give myself completely to you. Every part of me, Lord, is yours. And I do it every morning, including this morning. And I want to tell you what a difference it makes. I don't have to grow upset about things in my life because it's not mine, it's His. I don't have to come up with all the answers because, you see, He is the answer. And He is able in all ways to address every need in your heart this morning. And as we surrender ourselves to Him, He is so able to care for us. He's a holy and sovereign God. He made the universe, and Louis Giglio says in that great video that he holds a whole universe in the span of his hand. And how might not you and I this morning surrender all that we are or could ever be to him who is love and grace and mercy? One last thing, and then I must close. Just a short time ago, I was speaking in a church in America, and uh, they had asked me if I would tell this story. Cher, how did you come to faith in Christ? And so as I shared the story, I also invited people to come and make sure of their relationship with Christ. And in a moment, I'm going to interrupt the schedule and do just that. As I shared that night, a goodly number of people came because they weren't sure that they belonged to Christ and that he belonged to them. But a young couple came and stood over on the side. And uh, as I had some free time, I walked over and I shook hands with this young lady. And it was in the southern United States. And as we shook hands, she said, hi, how y'all doing? 
so I knew she was from the south. And as I shook hands with the young man, he had a firm handshake, looked me right in the eye, and said with an accent that is the same as the one I used to carry before spending all these years in Canada, he said to me, I knew exactly what you were talking about, so I did. Because I used to plant bombs for the IRA in Northern Ireland. And she came over to Northern Ireland with a church mission team. And she began to tell me about Jesus. And then that man started to cry. And he said to me, John, I've become a Christian. And I just wondered, you and I are enemies, natural enemies. But there's a big wooden cross on the platform here in this church. Would it be all right? Could I give you a hug at the cross? Because we're brothers in Jesus. You know, our world is searching for peace everywhere. There's war in the Middle East and war here and war there. But the politicians can't make peace. Peace only comes with the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Friends, could we stand together for a moment and let me quickly conclude so that we may move on along. I look forward to this evening and the other times of being with you. But I would ask you this morning as we stand together here in this beautiful sanctuary. Are you sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven to be with Jesus? And if you're not sure... I want to invite you in just a moment to come and join me here down in the front for a short prayer time. Or perhaps you are here this morning and like me you have tried and tried and tried to live as a Christian, but something always overcomes you. It might be bad temper. It might be the things of the flesh. It might be the busyness of this world. It could be so many things. But this morning, I want to invite you, instead of living that roller coaster up and down, up and down kind of thing, would you not come and join me for this moment of prayer? And let's commit ourselves in surrender to Him, afresh and anew. That's the beginning of personal revival. And oh, dear ones, most likely all of us this morning have a son, a daughter, a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, someone who is so far from Jesus. Would you bring them in your heart this morning to the front for this moment of prayer? So I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. My eyes are closed. This is a moment between you and God. And as the Spirit of God has spoken, and I know this is different, perhaps, than how you ever uh, work in a service, but bear with this old foreigner for a little while. 
And just step out and come as God has spoken to your heart this morning. There's a beautiful open area here. I'd love to pray with you and for you. So friends, just now, for just a couple of moments, would you come from where you are? And let's just gather for a short time of prayer. I'll wait for a moment. And you come. Don't be shy. It's just a time of prayer. It's just a time to make something sure. It's just a time to meet the Lord. Thank you for coming. And as you come and gather, if you were here at the front this morning and you're not sure of that precious eternal life in Jesus. I want to just ask you right from your heart. You need not say it out loud, but from your heart. Would you just speak to Jesus with words like these and just simply say to him. From your heart, dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking to me. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and I'm not sure if I died today that I would go to heaven. So, Lord, I want to make sure. I know I cannot save myself. So, Lord, I come to you in repentance and confess my need of you. Come then, Lord Jesus, on this 17th of August morning, and fill my heart and my mind and my life with Yourself. I give myself to You. And if you're here at the front this morning and God has been speaking to you about those times of failure, might we not from our hearts then just say to Him, Precious Lord, You know the areas in which I fail and struggle. And I come to You this morning and ask for Your forgiveness and ask You, Lord, I don't want to do it my way anymore. So, Lord, I give You in full surrender, all of the areas of my life. Come then, Lord, and teach me how to live this Spirit-filled life. And, O oh, Father, fill us each one this morning with Your Holy Spirit. And lastly, Father, we would just call upon You from our hearts. You know those in our families and in our circle of influence who are so far away from Jesus. And this morning at the front of this beautiful sanctuary, at the altar, we lift them to you. And just from your heart, pray for that one or those many that are in your mind and your heart just now. 
my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, my children, my grandchildren. Lord, how we thank you that you are a sovereign Lord and you are so able to reach into hearts. Thank you for being with us this morning. Continue to speak to us through song and prayer and in our worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've come to the second of my talks, and God willing, there will be four. <laughs> and I, I gave the four titles, maybe they are a help. Um, our past, what we were, and I described there the fall and also the beginnings with Satan. Now, tonight, I'd like to talk about the present, what we are. Then I go from there, what we hope to be or what we should be, our future. And then finally, what we will be and our final destination. It's a simple theme. It has been generally described as the pilgrim's progress. It's not exactly that, but in a way it is. Uh, I'm following the same kind of thing of the where we came from, how God rescued us, and um, how he dealt with us, how he awakened us, how he brought us to the good things of God. Now, we come now to what we are. So I'll read the two verses again that uh, I'm basing nearly everything on. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, those are the verses we have been looking at, really, is this translation into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, we come to the stage now where we have believed, and so we know something about our Savior, um, and we are meeting our dear Son, the dear Son of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the first, first thought that came to me in this was, a deep sense of, of gratitude. You know, when you, I want you to kind of throw your minds back at the time uh, when you came to the Lord. And uh, afterwards, there will be a deep sense of gratitude that the Almighty and the Eternal and the Great God has looked upon you and has had mercy upon you, and that this has taken place. And your hearts are are burning with this. And um, once this experience has taken place, you know that lovely little couplet, and earth has nowhere so dear a place as where we meet with thee. And when we look back at that time when we believed, it was precious indeed. And it is wonderful to, if we can, retain that freshness all the days of our lives. Perhaps we go back and forth a little, but every now and again, we remember the blessedness we knew when first we saw the Lord. A sense of deep gratitude. We have been delivered. Now, I want us to think about that. 
we have been delivered from, in the day of judgment, from condemnation. For some, he has said, depart from me, he cursed, I never knew you. That must be the most terrible thing that can ever be. Depart from me, I don't know you. But how wonderful, enter in to the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. We have been delivered from what happened in judgment and condemnation. We have been delivered from eternity in hell. I do not know if we're all the same in this, but I find myself being preoccupied with maybe one teaching over a week or two. Uh, not, not that I don't take any notice of the others, I don't mean that, but preeminently so. And luckily, it has been heaven and hell. And the, the reality of it, heaven, there's, you cannot measure it, can you? Uh, all our little tape measures would be fall short, all our ways of measurements, all our little timepieces would fail because we have entered another dimension, we have entered into the presence of God and there fellowship with him forever. I cannot imagine what that is, but we are given a little hint about it. We are told that God, you know, has prepared for us a place you know, things that we have never seen or heard of before, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart or the mind of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. It's also a very beautiful place. It's clean. We live in a dirty world, but it's an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so. I would have told you, I don't lie. I would have told you, and I could have prepared a place for you, and so that where I am, there ye may be also. I thought about hell. Hell. Those who have never given a thought for God, those who have a superficial acknowledgement of the Reformed faith, but... There's no life there, they'll not regenerate. And hell there too, hell there too. He did not know them. What is hell like? Well, our Lord mentions hell very frequently, and he mentions heaven less often, oddly enough, but not oddly enough. The warning is very important. If there is no death in heaven, there is continuous dying there. If there is no hunger and thirst in heaven, there is thirst that will never be quenched and hunger that will never be satisfied. If there is no pain in heaven, then it is a place of pain that never ends. It is everything that's positive in the heaven, the opposite of that in a negative way. But the thing is this, it is eternal. It is eternal. Why do we not witness today? Why are we so silent? You know, on such an issue, on such an issue, and we make a little excuse here, but we hope so. He was a nice person, he was a good person. He did his best, and I'm 
recalling to my mind now, they're not in my notes, um, well, I've taken well over a thousand funerals, well over that. And uh, many unbelievers, many thinking they were believers, you know. And I went to one just totally uh, unbelieving. And uh, I asked the lady, she had four sons, um, why do you want a service in our chapel? Well, I was a minister. And she said, well, he'd been to funerals in your church, and he said, you know, if ever I go to church, I'll go there. And then she said something terrible. He's having his wish. Oh, I thought, too late. Too late. Too late. And how true it is of so many people, you know, with the gospel. Oh, too young to tell the gospel plainly to them. And then college times and the early kind of times at work, too busy, too busy. And then two people sitting in a rocking chair watching television, too late. They don't think clearly, too late, too late. And the end, hopeless. Heaven and hell, these are the issues. And this is why these things are so very important that we come to a knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. We have been delivered. We have been delivered from hell and separation from God. I have a quote here from um, Reverend James Smith, written in 1847 from one of his sermons. The whole race of mankind, in consequence of the fall, is infected with the most dreadful, fearful, soul-killing disease. Quite a phrase, isn't it? The whole race of mankind, in consequence of the fall, is infected with the most dreadful, fearful, soul-killing disease. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, there is a way of deliverance. We no longer face endless suffering or sorrow or endless regrets. I nearly went, I only wish, I'm sorry I didn't. A place of no hope. Now, from my teaching days, I was an art master. We used to have one lesson, which form of art appreciation. And I can tell you, I used to have some very, very amusing and interesting comments regarding the great um, artists of the past. And uh, we had one, and uh, it was an interesting one. It was a print of the, paint, of the work of Michelangelo, of the Day of Judgment. Now, we couldn't have had the painting there. You know what it says. It's enormous. Well, and there is just a, there's a, a, a big book of death, a book of life, and uh, the falling ones to hell and going to heaven. I, I can't describe it all. It's too vast. But there's only one face there. There is one face cupped like this in his hands. And even in the prints, there is in those eyes total despair, eternal despair. Why? Well, God has just told me, told him, get away. Depart from me, he cursed. I never knew you. And he knew that it was final, 
There was no cause of appeal. There was no hope. So what I'm saying is this. Oh, my dear friends, make sure of that blessed encounter and live for him. Give yourself completely to him, for he gave everything for you. We have made a sweet encounter with our blessed Saviour, the altogether lovely one, the Son of God, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What about these words? Jesus, Jesus. Now, it's very difficult for me to say this in English, because I know it so well in Welsh, but I will say it in English. Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient beyond telling is thy worth. In thy name lie greater treasures than the riches found on earth. Such abundance is my portion with my God. Lovely. In thy gracious face there's beauty, far surpassing everything found in all earth's greatest wonders mortal eye hath ever seen. Rose of Sharon, thou thyself art heaven's delight. What is so? He is heaven's delight, and he is our saviour. And by the grace of God and grace alone, the unmerited favour of God, we belong. We are children of God. And this gospel has reached our hearts. Yours? Yours, as you can say, I know. I know. In Colossians 1.21, we're reminded again of the scope of the miracle. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled this peace. I'd like to enlarge on this from Ephesians, really. And you, it's the same. You know, just think of it now. There from the glories of eternity... He sets in motion, you know that well-known hymn, he sets in motion the counsel of God, the, the gospel of God is in motion to people who yet are not born in a world, not yet created. Yet it's in motion like a divine arrow of grace making its way until at a certain time in your life and you, and you, and you, and it reaches your heart. And you, that were sometimes aliens, alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now hath he reconciled in Ephesians, and you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And just two phrases from the verses there. What were we? Children of disobedience. We are that by nature. We like to be contrary. We like to be difficult. We like to be rebellious. We like to be different. We're making a statement all the time. Always you see this uh, in our appearance, in the way we speak. We, it is so easy. I'm making a statement, this is me, this is me. I don't do like that. I'm a character of my own. Children of disobedience. Then the, ne the next verse has at the end, children of wrath, the wrath of God, the anger of God. Now, it is not like our kind of anger. It is a reaction of holiness to that which is unholy. It's a reaction of purity to that which is impure. It is a reaction to that which is perfect, to that which is sinful and stupid and low and base. 
But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. I saved unmerited favor to an undeserving people. Now that's the miracle. This amazing miracle. We have now a relationship with God which can never be broken. Satan, with all his strength and all his cohorts with him, can help him if they like in a tug of war, but they could never, never take us away from this relationship with him. Let me bring this in as well. I'm bringing it in because it's a verse I love. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who mentioned him, nearly always used to say when he preached, you know, for every verse, this is a very special verse in the Bible. Well, you know, I used to think that that's a single special verse, you know, but every verse seems special, but this one's special. 2 Corinthians 5.21, do you know it? For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made, now listen, the righteousness of God, the purity of God, the cleanness of God in him, nowhere else but in him. This righteousness is imputed to us in Jesus Christ, and God accepts us. That's a very lovely thing to be accepted. May I use a little experience here? I was born in a northwest Wales in a town called Carnarvon, but during the Depression, our family with hundreds of thousands of other families had to leave looking for work in various places, and we went to my father's home in South Lancashire. And that's where mainly I remember and where I was brought up. And uh, so I went all together to three different grammar schools as we moved about. Now, I don't know if you know what it feels like. First of all, the first one, change of language, change of everything. And uh, I'm so well used to the, the walls of a schoolyard. Do you know what I mean by that? I've, lent, I've been leaning on them for hours. I'm sure it adds up to months altogether, you know, leaning hoping, wanting to be accepted. Well, in my second, I was. One boy came to me and uh, he said, are you on your own? I said, yes. He said, come with me. I had a friend. And I went home. I wasn't accepted in my third, by the way. <laughs> I had a friend, and I went home. I couldn't get home quick enough. I was shouted at the front door, and I said in Welsh to them, I said in English, I've been received. I've been accepted. I've got a friend in that school. Do you know, even on a human level, it's a wonderful thing to be accepted when I was so very different in my background, to be accepted. He says to you, in Christ, I accept you. 
because you have a righteousness which matches mine. You have a purity that matches mine. You are found in Christ. In him, says Top Lady, we have a righteousness by God himself approved. Lovely. Oh, in him, we have a righteousness by God himself approved. Our rock, our sure foundation, this which never can be moved, our ransom by his death, he paid for all the people given. The law he perfectly obeyed that they might enter heaven. A twofold way. He fulfilled the law in his active obedience and in his passive obedience he paid the penalty for our failure. So the law he perfectly obeyed in our place that we may enter in. We are now heirs of God. You know, this is a strange phrase. It would be almost too dangerous to say, but it's in Romans. Heirs of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Look who we are. Special, peculiar people. What's wrong with the word peculiar? I don't want to be like the world. You are there. There's something else. I don't know what they are. But we are peculiar to God. We belong to him. Heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. And the beauty of the Lord overwhelms our souls. And the beauty of the Lord rests upon us. He is indeed our sufficiency. He is our rose of Sharon. Then our position in the sun. We have now a new address. We have now a new address. Have you heard the phrase, no fixed abode? Now, I don't know if these are exactly the same now, because years go by so quickly and new organizations come, but I, I think it's the same. Those poor people that sit on the pavement, some with a dog or two, and a cap, uh, some, and many of them, sleep under some bridge, winter and summer. And I often wonder, what brought you there? We had something to do with them as a church at one time, and many of them came from very good homes, you know. I don't know what's wrong, but there they were, and every now and again they were high on drugs, you know, and you, if you gave them money, you, you didn't know really what to do, but they were of no fixed support, and this is what it means. If you haven't got the money to pay in advance to, for a place to stay, you may not stay there. All right? And you can't get a job unless you have an address. So it's a hopeless situation. No money in advance to pay for a room. Then no address. Then no job. What shall I do? Beg for pity on the pavements, sleep under some newspapers, under a bridge. And what are they called? People of no fixed abode. Now, spiritually, there are billions of people of no fixed abode. Some outside the church, mostly, I suppose, but even within, you know. 
They haven't really come to that place. No fixed abode, but in Christ you have an address. Now listen to verse 9 in Philippians 3. And be found in him. Watch your address. Jesus Christ and the mansions of glory. That's my address. And to be found in him. How's that? Not having my own righteousness, says Paul, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here we are again. We have a righteousness which is of God by faith in Christ. Why? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death. What a position. What a wonderful knowledge, you know. The Apostle Paul, he said, you know, I was brought up in a religious home. And in a way, you can say he was a very good and a very modern man. I know he was cruel, but even that, you know, was a, a product of his enthusiasm for his religion. Uh, and so he could say, well, I, I love Judaism, and I hated anything that opposed the, lang- the, the religion of my, of my, of my people. And I did everything I could. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, I was really high up in this. I, I was that. But it's now is nothing to me. It's nothing to me. I was leaning on nothing. It's nothing to me. I've given that up for the knowledge of the excellency of Christ. Would you do that? Would you give, say like, well, I'm important. I've done very well. I got five degrees, whatever, you know. I've done very nicely. I've been successful. Are you willing to say that's nothing? They're just the circumstances that surround me. That's nothing. The only thing that matters and burns in my heart is the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thrilling your soul, thrilling your mind, thrilling your thinking, thrilling your emotions, thrilling your actions. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Oh, we're debtors. Uh, that's as a top lady to mercy alone. Of covenant mercy I sing. Nor fear has gone. Nor fear with thy righteousness on. I'm wearing your righteousness. You know, we've been washed, we've been dressed, you know. Uh, we're beautiful. And the beauty of the Lord rests upon us. Nor fear with thy righteousness on. Why? I'm not afraid because I'm wearing the righteousness of Christ, my person and offering to bring the terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Saviour, now listen to this, my Saviour's obedience and blood. Look at these hymns compared to the ditches of today. My Saviour's obedience and blood. Obedience, he fulfilled the law for me, and blood, he paid the penalty for me. My Saviour's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Let me finish that little part now with a little a true illustration. Um, I was preaching somewhere, it doesn't matter where. It was a small place, and... Um, I knew very little about the place, but oh, a little I knew that they were divided. And divided on a very strange thing. One half said, we 
and our parents were founder members. We're Baptists. And we've been baptized by Reverend so-and-so. And um, we've done the Sunday school. We give money. We've kept the place tidy. That was true. The other half, well, I don't know if that division exactly, said, well, yes, uh, we also tithe, we also give, but we love the Lord, and we know that we're going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. And so there was this pull between religious semi-evangelicals and those who are the Lord's people. Now, you wouldn't be able to tell looking at them, <laughs> but that was the situation. I didn't know that. But there was one powerful lady who I called the leader of the opposition. And every time there's a church meeting, she'd be on her feet and be saying, we have a rights, we have founder members, and so on and so on. She was very difficult and very proud and said, I never miss a Sunday, apart when I've been ill once or twice. I give this, I do this, I, I, I. Well, anyway, I can't take any credit here at all, of course. And um, I'd run up during the week um, that this lady was there, and he described her. But she was sitting behind rather a big person, so I hadn't really noticed. And he said she has wept from Sunday till the prayer meeting. She can't sleep. And this is what he said. You worried her. You said these words. Nothing in my hands I bring. And did this, you see. Empty them. Don't say, you know, I'm, I'm a bargain God. I'm worth having God. Look at my talents. Look at my gift. Look at the voice I have. Look at this. Look at that. Nothing. Nothing. And she said, I looked at my hands. They were packed with pride. They were packed with stupidity. And she said to the elder, help me. And she came to the front and she held her hands up and went like this, empty them and lead me to him. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Then we are safe. You see, in this encounter with our blessed Saviour, we are safe, we are, we are secure. I'll read the verses from Romans 8 to you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a question. Is there anybody now that can take me away from Jesus Christ? I mean, all sorts of things may happen to me, but can anybody take that away? And if you're a Christian, and even if the worst things and circumstances happen in your life, uh, can you, anybody take you away? Haven't people said, if you've gone through a very hard time as a family, where's your God now? You still believe in him? You know that kind of challenging, like poor old Job has to go through? Well, there's no one. No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Tribulations can be hard, and we have a share of them. I'm sure everyone here has or will have his share of tribulation. 
It will not separate you from him if you are his. Or persecution. I've often wondered, I've often wondered, and think of that man, Billy, who was so, such a timid man in the history, you know, and so afraid, and they were burning Christians, and he, they said, you're one, you're one, and then suddenly he said, yes, you need time, I walk in, you know, I walk in. What was that? Even persecution cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or distress. Are you distressed tonight? Surely it doesn't separate you, does it? Does it make you run to him more? To the one who gave you the strength you need? Distress or persecution or famine? What if you had the 30s again? You know, what did you do? What happened then? Well, people at that time turned to God. Turned to God. Would you? Would you say, this is not right? Why should we have to go through this? Why? No. You'd find your comfort even there, and you'd find he'd not let you go begging. Or nakedness. If everything you have, your house, your job, your best clothes are taken away and you're left more or less with anything, but you've got Lord, the Lord. Do you, uh, some of you remember a letter from Jean-Baptiste who was in um, Rwanda during the time of the terrible killings there. And he had a family, I mean, his father and mother, brothers and sisters, ten. Uh, five of them being killed and five didn't know where they were. And he was in a, a camp uh, that was uh, by some organization. And he said, I've got a little T-shirt and a pair of trousers, and that's all. No, no, he said. I've got Jesus. Now, he was a lecturer in, in a university. I've got Jesus. Do you see that this excellency of the knowledge of Christ is more powerful than any of these things, or peril, or sword, and the nasty things. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, these are the evil ones, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that's pretty comprehensive. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor evil angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. From any direction, from any place, cannot separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. But here he says, we may have to go through some of those things, and they conquer us. Oh, no, they don't. 
We are more than conquerors. Now, that seems a rather a strange thing to say. How there's only the defeated and the conqueror. How can you be more than the conqueror? Well, I'll tell you. Maybe evil people will have hurt, killed you and so on. But you are conqueror because up from the dust of death we rise to claim our mansion in the sky. That's how safe we are. We are inseparable from our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We have a great advantage. Not only have we right to call God Father, we may approach the throne of grace. Do you do it? Let us therefore, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Not only our Father, as he saved us through Jesus Christ, all this, but I'm having a relationship with you now in this early part of your Christian life, and the middle part maybe. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And there are such times, are there not? There are such times when we need his mercy, and we need to lean on his mercy. And there are many times of need. Where shall I turn, God? What shall I do? Who will help me? And we know he will. And we know we have a Savior who listens and cares and loves. All our infirmities, he listens to us and helps us. You know, very often a person might ask how you are and you're not feeling at all well and you want to tell them and they've gone before you start. They don't really know. They don't really want to know how you are. He does. He does. He is our good shepherd. The shepherd and the sheep. For a while, I've been a minister of three churches. My second one was in the mountains of West Wales and a big part of my congregation were shepherds. Uh, to me, sheep were just sheep, you know? Just sheep that got on the way in the road and so on. Uh, or a herd that you, or a, a lot of them, you know, and you had to wait, wait for them to pass you by. And um, that was all they were. I knew nothing about cows or sheep or anything, and I was a minister there. But I, I learned differently. There's a relationship, yes, between a shepherd and his sheep. There's a love there. You know, he'll go to any risk to save a sheep. It's amazing. And I think they're only worth about four pounds at that time. Any, any effort. And sometimes you come across a farmer and you stop the car, talk to him. Uh, Will you look for, for a sheep with my markings on it? Because each farmer had his markings. And I knew the markings. I said, I will look out for them. But then once, I remember, uh, he called out. And the sheep wasn't far away. And the sheep knew her shepherd's voice and came. I learned a lot in the country. My sheep, you... My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'll give you a little account here. It is a lovely one, because it's related to this, and it helps to remember, doesn't it? Um, I can remember preaching. There's a Welsh chapel, 
the old style, you know, pulpit here, two main doors there, and so the pulpit be three sides, so everybody was near you. So nobody was ever late, because if you were late, you had to face the whole congregation, and little doors on the pews. And um, I was talking about, really, not of works or something like that, and a man right in the center got up, and he was so angry. Now, that's, I'm not unfamiliar to that, you know, but he was so angry, and he got up, and he passed the people by him, and he slammed the little door, and he gave me a furious look, and he stamped down the aisle, and there was the first doors, and they were swinging, swinging, swinging till they stopped, and then the, bang, the front door on that side, he banged, and off he went. And I just carried on, you know. It's very useful having been a school teacher. You know, kind of a calm, you know, you carry on. He's gone, I'm here. So I went on. But a few years later, I was visiting a hospital in Swansea, and the person I'd gone to see had gone home. So I, a minister came out from my, the village or the town I was in, and he said, there's one of your kind there. Well, are you surprised that they talk like that? They do. One of your kind. So I went up to this man who was obviously dying. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you of all people. Now, you don't really know how to take that, do you? Yeah, I, I said, yes, it's me of all people. And then I, I looked at him and I named the church. He said, yes. I was so angry. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was superintendent. I was in for being an elder. And he was saying those things about me. I couldn't take it. I know, I said. You showed it very plainly. He said, uh, last night, I remembered what you said. I remembered the words of grace. I remembered about being forgiven and the blood of Christ. I think I saw him, he said. I know this, he came to me. He came to me. Isn't that wonderful, my friend, I said. Do you know we brothers now? I'll give you a verse, I said. You was Welsh, of course. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, come on, now, you know your Bible, say it. And he did. Now, we'll say it together. Would you like me to pray? Because you're going to die, aren't you? Yes. So I prayed with him. I thought, how wonderful are the ways of God and how important it is to keep a calm spirit when there seems to be opposition. Yes. Then lastly, the growth in the Son, sanctification. We have been justified by the redemption in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have peace with God. Think of that, peace with God. Now, when you have believed, you have peace with God. You go to sleep at night knowing whatever happens, if I'm ill or whatever it is, I have peace with God. We belong to him, and our purpose in living is to glorify God. I don't want to say you, I want to say we. Do we glorify God? Do you? 
glorify him on the Lord's day? Or is he well, feeling a bit out of sorts? I'll take a little morning off. Why? He didn't see that going to Calvary. I, I don't fancy that cross. I, 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 not just now. I'm only 33. Get up and go. You belong there. You feel much better afterwards. Tiredness, it would go. Spurgeon said, if God had willed it, each of us might have entered heaven at the moment of conversion. Wouldn't that have been convenient? At the moment of conversion. It is true that our sanctification is a long and continued process. He might have changed us from imperfection to perfection and taken us to heaven at once. Why then are we here? We are here that we may live unto the Lord and being live unto the Lord and bring others to know his love. That's why we are here. That's why you've got a little job, so how you know to eat and so on. You're here to live unto the Lord and bring others unto the Lord. That's why he's left you here. That's why we remain here on earth as sowers and scatter of good seed, as plowmen to break up the fallow ground, as heralds publishing salvation. We are here as set of the earth, as salt of the earth. We are here to glorify God, to tell them Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is co-equal with our Father. Our sins were laid on him, and he paid the penalty in full. Past sins, present sins, future sins, a totality of what we are. He cleared our debt, and then he lived and fulfilled the law, and he did it for us. And when we are given those gifts of repentance and faith, not remorse and believism, but repentance and faith, and come to him. We are in his arms, and we are safe forever, and no one or anything or circumstance can take us away. Then how should we live? Colossians 3, 2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That is, set your course. I can remember in the college once, um, I, I told the speaker there are many here that are, may not be interested in what you have to say. I tried to help him. And he said to them at the beginning, many of you are idling in the theological college, and you say, I'll work when I get to a church. He said, if you're not working now, you won't work then. You start now. That is what you will be then. You start now. If you're a couple and don't have daily worship, start now. Start now. If one of you is lagging behind, start now. Encourage. Or say, you stay home and I'm going. Start now. Start now. It calls for determination and cooperation with the grace of God. Live unto the Lord. Then he tells us in Colossians 3, 5, this is what you've got to kill. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, 
evil concupiscence and covetousness, idolatry. There they are. Make a list of yours and say, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. I have no room for you in my life. I am the Lord. And Satan might say, you can't kill him. Yes, I can. The Lord will help me to mortify these things. I turn away from them. I kill them. I will not have them. Start now. Then, the same chapter, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, as God's chosen people, holy, beloved, separated, beloved, bowels of mercies. Be merciful. To those who don't deserve it, be merciful. Kindness. I love that attribute of God, the loving kindness of God. Kindness. It's a rare thing. People are only nice if they get something out of you. Kindness. Expecting no returns. Humble humility. Not puffing yourself up and thinking you're somebody. We're nothing. From dust we came, dust we go. And were it not for him, we would be nothing. Humility of mind, because you can think big of yourself in your own mind. And meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is controlled strength. Long-suffering. Oh, I've had enough. I've done enough in that chapel. I get no thanks. How many times have I heard that kind of thing? Don't be like that. Go on. For him. For him. Long-suffering, forbearing one another. We're not all easy to get on with, but we must. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Somebody hurts you inadvertently or maybe deliberately, forgive. Make no issues. Forgive. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ, forgave you, remember that, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is a bond of perfection. On these lovely things like mercy and forgiveness and so on, put a big cloak on you of love divine, all love's excelling. Let love flow through all our veins and in all our thinking. Love him enough to serve him. Love enough to live him, to live for him, and love him enough, if necessary, to die for him. This is the life of a man of grace and a woman of grace. Are you a man or a woman of grace? Well, I'm an evangelical. I'm a born-again Christian. Oh, I don't like that kind of phrases, you know. Are you a man of grace? Are you a woman of grace? How can this be encouraged? Colossians 3.16 Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing grace in your hearts to the Lord. See, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Enjoy these hymns that are based on the Bible. And the Psalms, enjoy those things. 
But let the word of God be familiar to you. Do you read your Bible every day? Is it just a skimp? Or do you, well, I sometimes may have read a paragraph and my mind's gone somewhere. Do you know what I do? I go back. I go back to where that started and feed on it and feed on it. Let the word of God dwell richly in you. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by, by him. And rejoice in worship, rejoice in fellowship. Be glad to be here. It's lovely to be in these meetings. Why? Rejoice in it. It's a good thing that we do. It's a rare thing that we do. It's a glorious thing that we do. Let it spread. Let it spread far and wide. Now, how is it possible to work this out? In Philippians 2, the end of verse 12, he has very helpful words here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, why fear and trembling? Well, we know that in the day of judgment, the terrors of law with me can have nothing to do. We know that. But there is the day of Christ. Now, we will still go to heaven, but we will be assessed how we use the grace of God in our Christian life. We're accountable. We are saved. We are being glory, but we are accountable. He says here, for it is God, cooperate, he says, for it is God which worketh, work out your own salvation, the implications, for it is God which worketh in you. He says, are you willing to sit down and think now? Think spiritually. And now you know what to do. You know your Bible. You know how to react very well. Are you cooperating? I'll help you. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Think through these situations. God working in you, guiding your will, guiding your ability in order to live a life that's well-pleasing to God. John said in his epistle, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin. And another verse, that we which have the Son and heard, and we which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. How can people keep away from a prayer meeting? How can they? How can they keep away from a teaching class? How can they? And just slouch or eat too much dinner time. Why? Why can't we love him more? Consider Hebrews 11. I'm going to take you to an art gallery. There it is. Oh, it's immense. There are lovely pictures there. And there are photographs or paintings, rather, of these in Hebrews. But now they desire, who are these? They desire a better country that is unheavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. And there's a list there, various different kinds of people and sorts. 
But you know, and interesting, there's Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He came to that place where he made a choice, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. How much of your talent and your time are you willing, are you willing to tithe your whole being and more, or rather spend it on yourself? He made a choice. I'm going to choose the suffering and the jibes that the people of God have rather than the luxury and the pleasure that I've been living for. He made a choice. Have you? Would we make that choice? It costs. He says at the end of the chapter, of whom the world was not worthy. It's true. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, a good report, they have their reward. Yes, prosperity, adversity, all these various things. But there they are in the gallery of faith. It's a pictorial thing. Supposing I'm talking about you, and you've just arrived in glory in a Christian, and one of the angels, I'm using my imagination, takes you to this gallery. And he says, there's your picture. Um, well, yes, may I look? Yes, you may. May I look at the date? Yes. Chosen in eternity. But, but I, I, I was saved, so, well, yes, that is there too. But you know, that's the big thing. But when that little date came in, we took the veil off and your, your picture was already there. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Do you realize, do you realize that if you're the Lord tonight, that you'll be there, that you'll be there? Do you realize if you're not, you will not be there? Not. There is nothing more wonderful than the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. We come at different times and different ways, but oh come, oh come. <clears throat> art thou weary, art thou languid, art thou sore distressed? Come to me, says one, and coming, be at rest. Do that now, some of you. Hath he marks to lead me to him, if he be my guide? In his feet and hands are wound prints, and his side. Hath he diadem as monarch, that his brow adorns? Yea, a crown of thorns, a crown adorns, but of thorns. If I find him, if I follow, what is guerdon here? Many a sorrow, many a labor, many a tear. If I still hold closely to him, what hath he at last? Sorrow vanquished, labor ended, Jordan passed, safe? If I ask him to receive me, will he say me nay? Not till earth and not till heaven pass away. 
beautiful, he'll not refuse you. Come, come through that little wicked gate. Come to your Savior. Love him, follow him, serve him, and fill your life with the excellency of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let us pray. Almighty God and our Heavenly Father, we come to thee in our Savior's name and ask thy blessing upon us. Thou knowest where we all are. Some are seeking, let them find, let it be tonight. Some, O Lord, do know thee and yet hold back. O Lord, lay hold on them and stir them. And some, O Lord, are serving thee well. Give them strength to go on, so shall be said of us, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So may we endure by the grace of God, and he giveth, and giveth, and giveth again. Amen. <clears throat>